So what is Easter to you? Hopefully the answer is fairly obvious this morning. It's about a family Easter egg hunt. Our family Easter egg hunt goes back many years and uh, we have four kids and uh, when they were preschoolers, you have to picture them getting their cute little cloth Easter baskets and Lori had hit, hid, uh, hidden candy uh, Easter eggs around the living room, TV room and dining room and they went toddling after their Easter eggs, filled their cute little baskets and it was such a special moment. It's what Easter is all about. And then they continued to do that in their elementary school years and uh, still got their cute little cloth Easter baskets. baskets. Think about Brett now as I'm portraying this, okay? And uh, now the pace quickened. There was a little more at stake, a little more intensity to the Easter egg hunt, as you understand, but it wasn't where we finished. They were in middle school and then high school and early Sunday morning, it was still a family tradition. Now there were strategic moves. It got a little physical because you know my son and he got physical and he would elbow his sisters out of the way and and that was middle school and high school. And that's what Easter is all about. But it wasn't the end of the story because when they came home from college, they demanded of my wife that we would still have the family Easter egg hunt on Sunday morning. This is no joke. And unfortunately, Lori fueled the, the craziness by adding the plastic eggs, putting dollar bills in the plastic eggs. Thus, my kids believed they could even pay for tuition in the family Easter egg hunt. And it continued, and it was ugly, and um, it was competitive, and it was random, and it was high energy, it was crazy. And we just had this chat. To this day, they'd still be doing the Easter egg hunt if we weren't concerned for the physical safety of my daughters. And that is what Easter is all about. Uh, It's more than that, in case you wondered. On Easter Sunday, we are asked to believe that an event took place 2,000 years ago that defies logic, contradicts science, and launched a worldwide religious movement that grew from only 120 people to over 2.2 billion. You're asked to believe that this morning. And the growth of this worldwide movement had nothing to do with its popularity initially and even to this day. It had everything to do with the historic reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says, the apostle, that the resurrection is the focal point, the fulcrum upon which the entire faith rises and falls. Hey, Christmas is great, we exchange presents. Good Friday is awesome because we recognize we're sinners saved by grace. But Paul doesn't mention those two holidays, those two two events in Jesus' life. It's the resurrection that shapes everything else of what we believe. It's interesting, uh, just in case uh, anyone's in denial here, that death remains an issue for every one of us. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's going to be a reality for everyone seated here this morning. I I ran into an article from The Onion. Some of you may read The Onion. It's a satirical website publication. It's a tongue-in-cheek article that communicates really the backdrop to this day. Um, And and the title of the article is World Death Rate Holding Steady at 100%. (laughs) I I hope this is not a breakthrough moment for you. Here's, Here's what the article says. 
World, the World Health Organization officials expressed disappointment Monday at the group's finding that, despite the enormous efforts of doctors, rescue workers, and other medical professionals worldwide, the global death rate remains constant at 100%. Death, a metabolic affliction causing total shutdown of all life functions, has long been considered humanity's number one health concern. Responsible for 100% of all recorded fatalities worldwide, the condition has no cure. We're going to die. We're all going to die. That's the horrible news this morning. There is no known cure for death. But I have incredible news this morning as well. There's life beyond death. And that life will never end. And sometimes lost in the translation of religion and tradition, we lose sight of the power of this moment. There's really two implications of the resurrection I want to point out in just a few minutes. Today is about the promise and the power of the resurrection. But let's go back to that empty tomb moment. Let's revisit the empty tomb. Early in the morning, sometime, there was this incredible earthquake. And had there been seismologists, they would have registered the epicenter somewhere around Jerusalem that morning. And in this mighty earthquake, there was a stone that rolled away from a grave. And and we read in one of the Gospels, it's actually the angel that rolls away the tombstone and then catch this, he sits on it, which I think is just kind of a cool little detail. When's the last time you've seen an angel sitting on a stone? Except maybe your spouse at Rock Creek Park, something to that effect. It said his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. Now get this, the guards that are there shake and become like dead men. Maybe they were faking it. Maybe they were catatonic. But when's the last time you've seen an angel sitting on a throne? If you were the angel that came and rolled the stone away, what would you have said to the guards that morning? Now that would have been a great opportunity, like... Boo. I mean, seriously, think about that. Or or today we could have said April Fool's and it would have worked. But in the stories, the collective stories, the four gospels, there's absolutely no record of anything the angel said to the guards at that moment, since I doubt they were there long enough for the angel to complete a sentence. Then in all four Gospels, and timing is really irrelevant, but a little later in the morning, there are in all four Gospels, the recorded first guests to the empty tomb are all women. Whether it be in twos or threes, women show up to be the first visitors to the tomb. And what I love about the Gospels is it doesn't sugarcoat or, or uh, redefine the historic moment. It doesn't say, and the women quietly stood at the empty tomb, giving thanks and praising God in prayer for the resurrection of Jesus and the fulfillment of his messianic promises. It doesn't say that. It says they were scared spitless. The women were alarmed, trembled, bewildered, frightened, wondering, dazed, confused. That was their initial response. And again, in the account with the three women entering the tomb, in the tomb, the women see a young man in a white robe. It says, he gleamed like lightning. Picture that. And what did the angels say to the women? He is risen. And the women respond with, no, 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 it didn't go like that at all. That's not where we get those lines. He explained what had happened. And again, they were scared. 
I, I, I don't know, but I, it could have been the angel winked and grinned at these women because he knew the news he had to share was so radical, revolutionary, countercultural, and eternity-altering. He couldn't help himself. But I think the most significant verse in all of the Gospels in, in attempting to define and, and describe the response of the women and eventually Simon Peter at that empty tomb was John 20, verse 9. Look at this verse. I think it's a summary statement. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, if you know the Gospels, three times, very intentionally, in virtually every one of the Gospels, Jesus describes, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, convicted, crucified, and rise from the dead. Three times he said that repeatedly. Any questions, Jesus said. Mixed results, mixed understanding. But the disciples and the women, in this case, weren't guilty of disbelief. They were guilty of misunderstanding even though Jesus had clearly taught about it. It just didn't register. It was so monumental, so explosive, so contradictory. Here's an explanation that I found fascinating. Why did the people, why did the women even there misunderstand? A majority of Jews in the days of Jesus believed there would be a resurrection at the end of days. And when the resurrection would take place, everyone would rise from the dead. The Messiah would appear, everyone would rise from the dead, and the Messiah would usher in a time of peace and prosperity and healing for the entire land for the rest of, hum for the rest of history and beyond. So they anticipated a resurrection someday at the end of days. This resurrection happened in the midst of days, and things didn't look much better. There was still pain. There was still suffering. There was, and you understand, there, there was a lot of misunderstanding because the resurrection was wrongly timed. The first implication for those women that day, for us as well today, is that the promise of the resurrection means eternal life. That may not be noteworthy if you've grown up in the church before. You know this story, but I want you to reflect upon that. Christianity rises and falls on this implication. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ wasn't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. I've got good news, friends. Whether it's the end of days or whether it's the moment after death, you're going to be leaving the cemetery. Whether it's today your soul or your spirit, whether at the end of days it's a bodily resurrection, we're going to be leaving the cemeteries. Won't you love to see that moment? We may. The promise of Easter is basically since Jesus has conquered death, if we believe in him, we'll conquer death too and our soul and spirit be transported to heaven immediately when we die, and then that final resurrection at the end of time. That's the promise of Easter. Jesus was the first, but not the last, to leave the cemetery. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ as a personal Savior has the promise of a resurrection and eternal life. See, Christ's followers approach death differently. There was a day when I did a lot of weddings here, and I still do a few, but I do a lot more funerals these days, a lot of memorial services. I, I do some memorial services 
for those who have lived uh, a life of faith, who know Jesus, I've, I've observed a few from time to time that, again, not judging by any way, shape, or form, that have not really expressed a belief in Jesus. And it's crunch time, folks. You've been there with people you love. End of life stuff, hospice, those final goodbyes. It makes all the difference in the world if someone knows it ain't over. That there's another life to come. And I hope and pray you don't have to get to that point before you recognize the promise of Easter is in life after this. And we just approach death differently. Because of this moment, this resurrection moment, death does not have power to tear us from the loving arms of the Father. Now or ever again. The the second implication of the resurrection, it's about the power of the resurrection and eternal life, but it's also about uh, transforming our lives. Uh, Participating in a resurrection The resurrected life begins here and now, and this is what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. See, belief in a resurrected Jesus transforms our life here and now. Since Jesus, the spirit, the Holy Spirit lives within us, and offers us this transformation of perspectives and priorities. He offers us an entirely different life trajectory. I've seen it in many of your lives. But then on the other hand, a lot of us settle. We do church. It's a family tradition. We plug in here and there, but that's about all it is. We settle. And there's so much more in this resurrection transformational power to life as a follower of Jesus. Listen, be honest. Today, if you're struggling with spiritual apathy, if there's no life to your faith, you're here but barely. It's Easter, come on. If you're struggling in that spiritual apathy, Come back to the empty tomb just one more time and ask God to bring your life back again, spiritually speaking. It's the transforming power of the resurrection. You may be brokenhearted today. You may be struggling this morning. You may not even be able to comprehend this because of the brokenness in your relationships, whether it's a marriage, it's your family, it's friends, it's fellow students, and you feel betrayed this morning. You feel alone in a crowded room there can be healing and reconciliation. It's the transforming power of the resurrection. If you're struggling with your job, your career, your future, you feel trapped, it's just not doing anything for you, maybe God can open a door in an entirely new direction. It's the transforming power of the resurrection. If you're a parent this morning, who's struggling with an estranged child, or you're the child of estranged parents. You don't have to live with the burden, regret with the responsibility of ensuring something happens. It's the transforming power of the resurrection. If you're battling addiction this morning, or hiding it in the shadows, you can beat it. You can beat it. You can beat the addiction. 
It's the transforming power of the resurrection. That's what happens here at the empty tomb. Nothing less than the transforming presence and power of Jesus Christ. And I would invite you to ask God to provide you with, somehow provide you with that transforming power that will give you a power beyond your own and you'll be able to do things and share things and feel things that are explainable only because of the presence of the risen Lord in your life. Whatever challenges we face, Jesus came back from the grave in this day in which we celebrate to offer you the power of a transformed life and the promise of an eternal life tomorrow. This is what Paul had to say. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. From the dead. I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. How about you? I want the promise of the resurrection. So when I face life's end, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt what my future is. And there's never a doubt that I'll be spending my eternity with those who've gone before me, those who follow me in the presence of Father, Son, and Spirit. That's the significance of this morning. To appropriate the power of the resurrection in our lives this week, you just have to take a step of faith and ask Jesus to make a difference in you so the resurrection power can transform. So what's Easter? Hey, Easter bunny and Easter egg hunts aside, it's not just a story about Jesus. It is not just a story about Jesus. It's the story about you and me, ordinary people, finding their way to an entirely new transformational life and eternity. It's the focal point of our faith. It's the motivation to live with the promise and the power of the resurrection. And the good news, my friends, is the power and promise of the resurrection impacts us today, tomorrow, and for eternity. For eternity. Let's pray. Lord, if there's, there's some folks here this morning that may have never taken that first step of belief, and said, Jesus, I want you as my savior. Uh, forgive my past. Uh, make me a new Lord. I just would pray that you'll, your spirit will tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, it's time to experience the promise of the resurrection. And, and for a lot of us here that uh, are Christians for maybe our entire lives, Lord, maybe we need a jump start to our faith. And maybe we need to be reminded at this open tomb that you came so that we might have life, not mediocre or apathetic life, but life to the full, an abundant life, a transformed and transforming life. Father, grant us your spirit and grant us the power of the empty tomb this morning. Father, we thank you and praise you. You have not called us merely to survive. You have called us to thrive. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.